and draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll read verses 1 through 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, Do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we have two simple requests of you here this morning that number one you accept our worship as we offer it to you and second that you would show us wondrous things here this morning from out of your word we thank you for the time that we have may we redeem it To the name of our Savior we pray. Amen. It's always a fascinating thing for me. I think especially as my girls have gotten older, it's a fascinating thing for me to watch younger children. Uh, There are times that I really miss the girls being that young, and there are times that I don't. (laughs) But but there, there are some very fond memories that I have of them at that age and one of the things that's a joy to watch it's sometimes funny and uh, oftentimes memorable is the way in which children attempt to imitate their parents sons uh, imitating their fathers and daughters imitating their mothers I, I saw it in the girls as they were young and they would try and do things the same way that their mother did is especially evident when Abby came along and Bell was or before Bell, uh, Beth was young and Abby came along about two and a half years later, and then after that another two and a half years, Bell came along and uh, 
it was funny things to watch as they had a new baby sister. Uh, they would take a doll and they would mimic everything that their mother did. They would set the doll in a high chair. They had a toy high chair and they would set the doll in a high chair just like their mom sat their little baby sister in a high chair. They would feed the doll like their mom fed their baby. Uh, they would dress the doll like their mom dressed their sister. They would change the diaper on their doll. All of these things mimicking and imitating that which their mother did. I never had a son, but I do remember stories that are told of what I used to do when I was a boy. And I somewhat remember some of them myself. As I get older, I've, I don't know if it's so much memories fading or just getting pushed out by other things that you learn and the mind only holding so much. But uh, I have some recollections, and one of the recollections that I have is being, uh, when we lived outside of Montana, we lived about 10 miles outside of Livingston, Montana, and we had a double-wide trailer built on a basement. And my bedroom was down in that basement. We had a living room, a bedroom, another room that had a concrete floor, and then that separated my sister's room and, and my own. And I remember several times, uh, growing fainter as time goes on, but I do remember pulling some sort of table or stand over in the middle of that room, and I would get a Bible or a hymnal, and I would set it there, and I would imitate what I saw my dad do as he would stand up in front of a congregation and preach the word there at the two different churches that he preached at in Montana. But those are things that we, we seek to do. We seek to mimic or to imitate those that we admire, that we love, or the ones that we spend time with the most. Uh, and we often see this, and most often see this in the relationship between a parent and a child. And the reality is that this can be a tremendously beneficial and positive thing that comes out of the relationship between a child and their parent. Where the child mimics the parent in doing things that are a positive or a godly or a biblical thing. Unfortunately, we see this evidenced in an opposite way as well, in an unhealthy way. Um, that is where the concept I deal with a lot in what I do for a living of generational crime or generational abuse. I see this take place in the child mimicking that which they see from their parent. And if their parent is a criminal, if their parent is an abuser, then many times they pick up that behavior. You're truly blessed if you had someone to imitate in your early years who is a godly example. Or you've been truly blessed by God if the Lord has given you someone even later in life to have as a, uh, a person that you can look up to, a person that you can be discipled by, uh, that can be of benefit to you in learning the way that we should be as Christians, as husbands, as wives, as as dads and, and mothers. And that is what Paul is getting at here as he begins chapter 5. 
by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is he's introducing to us this this morning in our text as he writes this epistle and continues uh, to move forward in this epistle to the Ephesians. Once again, I could hit repeat on what is what we've stated several times over and over again uh, in this series on Ephesians regarding the connection that Paul is making to that which he's already said uh, and pointing towards as he has been writing his letter. There's a great deal of speculation here with verse 1 and 2 where it belongs as they divided these out in chapters and verses. Uh, many, many of the, of the commentators and the more technical commentaries spend a, a good deal of time dealing with this. There's some that believe that verse 1 and 2 should have been verse 33 and 34 of chapter 4. And then there are those who agree with it being a new chapter as he starts out. Truth be told, I think it's a lot of wasted space on a commentary page. I really don't think that uh, that this is is uh, of great benefit to talk about this. Uh, the therefore is obviously connecting back to what he has previously stated. You can't really read hardly any of this epistle without coming to this, that he's just making connection after connection from what he said before to what he is saying next. It doesn't really matter where you divide this up. If you read this through as a letter, you're going to make the connection that Paul is trying to make. We're in the middle of the more practical application side of what the Apostle Paul is writing. Uh, He's been been giving us a a list or a set of comprehensive particulars regarding what the life of one who has been made alive, uh, one who has had all these doctrinal things back in chapters 1 through 3, who has had all these doctrinal things applied or made a reality to, to them, how this affects that one's life. And he says, now here are particulars. This is what we dealt with last time especially. Here are particulars of what that life looks like. Uh, That life, the, the new man, after having put off the old man, here's what the life of the new man, the new creation in Christ Jesus looks like. As just a a tiny bit of review here, he specifically points out the particulars of unity, steadfastness, putting off those things that belong to the old man, the old nature, to put away falsehood, to put away lying, sinful anger, stealing, and then to the positives, moving from the negatives to the positives, laboring in honest work, sharing, fit speech, giving grace to the hearer, kindness, tenderness, forgiveness as God in Christ forgave us. So we see he's been, been given us these very specific things that flow out of this new life, this new man, this new creation. And whether these first few verses that we have as chapter 5 actually belong in chapter 4 or belong in chapter 5 doesn't really matter as they are a continuation of what he's teaching us through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The apostle hits us here as we start chapter 5 with what flows out of this life. And he has set before us what I believe is the grandest notion of what that life is. Martin Lloyd-Jones had something to say. He he said, here in this new chapter, chapter 5, we come to what is perhaps Paul's supreme argument. 
to the highest level of all in doctrine and in practice to the ultimate ideal. There is nothing beyond, possible beyond this. This is the highest statement of Christian doctrine that one can conceive or even imagine. It is really staggering, says the doctor. It is almost incredible, but here it is. Be ye followers of God. Be ye imitators of God, as the translation I read from puts it. As I read over this passage throughout this week over and over again in, in preparation for preaching and spent time meditating on it as God allowed, I couldn't help but agree with the statement that Martin Lloyd-Jones made. This truly is a statement most profound and far-reaching. Be imitators of God. It encompasses everything that Paul could ever possibly say about what we should be doing and not doing in the Christian life. One short phrase encompasses everything. It encompasses all that Scripture teaches us and reveals to us about who God is and what God is. Be ye imitators of God. Now, what does this mean? Be, therefore, be imitators of God. Well, we could start to speculate and we could spend months and years in dealing with the character of God and in defining those characteristics probably into two categories. It's how theologians would, would summarize the attributes of God into two different categories. One that they would call communicable attributes and one that they would call incommunicable attributes. Some of these attributes, the incommunicable attributes, are things that belong to God and God alone. Things that we are not able to imitate. Those would be things such as His power to create. The eternality of God. We cannot imitate that. I had a beginning. I could not have been from eternity. We cannot imitate that attribute. But there are others, the communicable attributes as they call them, that by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we in some way are able to imitate. Some of which have already been mentioned by the Apostle Paul in what we've already dealt with. Loving kindness, tenderness, forgiveness, all these things. But I don't think we need to go into great detail about this this morning because I, have, I believe we have the answer here in our text. Let's begin by saying that we are to be, we're called to be imitators of God. And this is not the only place in Scripture that we're called to be imitators of God. This is probably the grandest, the most expansive, just be imitators of God in this first verse. But in 1 John 4.11, we're told, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We're to imitate God. Luke 6.36, Jesus himself said, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And in Matthew 5.48, our Lord tells us, You therefore must be perfect 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that's an impossibility, to be, imper- to be perfect in and of ourselves. But yet we are called to mimic that. We're called to be perfect, even though we can't in and of ourselves. I also want to point out that the text here does not just say that we are to imitate God, but it tells us in what manner we are to imitate God. Look at what he says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. As children who have been adopted by a loving Father who bestows upon His children the greatest of all gifts. When we are told to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy, to be perfect as our Father is perfect, as God is perfect, we can't do that without a gift, a gift of God's grace. But He bestows upon us the greatest of gifts as children. This is not some adoption whereby we're adopted and we're left loveless. We we're not given love by our adopted father. He loves us and he gives us precious gifts. Ephesians 1.3, which we've looked at, says, Who has blessed us, God, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, according to the riches of His grace, which He, remember, lavished upon us. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Truly, God has given to us adoption and not just left us, but has been to us a Father who loves His children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Is this not a sweet meditation for our soul? Beloved children, that we might in some way imitate our Heavenly Father as His beloved children. We talked about the Son imitating or mimicking His Father, showing to the world something of the character of their Father in the way that they are imitated to everyone who is watching of who that father of that child is. Think about it. When someone views a child who is imitating their dad or their mom, they are learning something about, not so much about the child, but about what the child sees in their father. This is a powerful thing when we are called to be imitators of God as beloved children. They learn more about the one being imitated than the one doing the imitation. It will reflect something about the character of the one that is being imitated. Well, what then in particular most characterizes that which we are to imitate about our Heavenly Father when we are imitators of God? Well, I believe that we are to look no further than our text and in the following verse to answer that question. And walk in love. And walk in love. Walk in love. Let your conduct, your your manner of life, 
reflect or imitate or mimic the love of God. This is a a profound thing to view that we might imitate this particular attribute of God, the love of God. Let us imitate God as we walk in love. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So then that begs the question, how are we best to know this love of God? If we're to mimic this, if we're to imitate this love of God, if we're to walk in love as we imitate God as beloved children, how are we best to know what this love is that we might imitate it and walk in it? Well, once again, Paul doesn't leave us to merely speculate or even make an educated guess as to what it is that he's talking about here. He goes on to tell us and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here it is. Here's our instruction as to how we may imitate the Father by imitating the one who reveals the Father to us. Hebrews 1, 1 and 3, 1 through 3. There are a lot, there, there, there are, God has given us so much to understand who he is in his word. But the book of Hebrews, if we were to summarize, especially the first part of Hebrews, what is it about? It is about the superiority of Jesus Christ, is it not? He sets in opposition Christ to Moses, to the prophets, to angels, the sacrifice of Christ, to the sacrifice of the Old Testament, his priesthood to the Old Testament uh, Levitical priesthood, and the superiority of Christ. So when he tells us here in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, what was he doing when he was speaking to his people through the prophets? He was revealing himself to them, right? He was making known who he was through the prophets to his people. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. How are we best going to know who God the Father is? By looking at the Son. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the shining out. He is the extending of the rays of light, so to speak, that are coming from God the Father. And He is the exact imprint of His nature. He is not an imperfect imprint. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Why? Because he is God. He is God. So much so that Christ, who cannot lie because he's God, and it is not in his nature to lie, tells us in John 14, 7 through 9, he was speaking to his disciples and he said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. 
From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, no man had seen the Father. But Christ has, tells his disciples, from now on, you've seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, said to Philip, Have I been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you see, I'm the radiance of his glory. I'm the exact imprint of his nature. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How are we best to imitate God? By looking at what the Son has done. Come now to something I stated last week. Uh, although we're in this very, very practical portion of, of this epistle, uh, the application portion of this epistle, we've not left doctrine behind in any way, shape, or form. Paul sprinkles it throughout all these last three chapters of Ephesians. He dealt with it in great detail throughout the first three, but it's sprinkled, and I believe here it's not so much sprinkled as it is pouring out from the deepest well the greatest doctrine that we could ever hear, the greatest teaching that we could ever sit under. How is love put on display? Walk in love. Be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ loved us. So how is this love put on display? Well, here it is. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here it is. Do you and I have something that we can look at to see and understand what this love is? And how this love acts? And what this love does? The atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross is that which we look to to understand what love itself is all about. We will never know what real love is unless we see it in light of what Christ did for us in love. 1 John three sixteen says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We're to imitate that which we see in Christ because it is what we know of God. Through Christ, walk in love. How do we know the love of Christ? By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. 1 John 4.10 And this in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction for our sins. Satisfaction to who? To God. There is so much here to say and to take away from this great utterance 
of doctrine right in the middle of this application and this, this, uh, these statements, these practical things that Paul is telling us about. For the sake of time, we'll try to be brief, but I want to make sure we cover this because we can never be imitators of God without understanding this truth. The understanding of this truth, of this doctrine that Paul pours out in this one or two verses right here must be understood. It is is vital. You cannot preach love without the doctrine of love, which Paul tells us about here. You can't do it. You cannot separate the application from the doctrine. This is why Paul spent these first three chapters in detail going over these great doctrines of the faith, the truths of what God has done on behalf of sinful man from eternity to present and even to the future. These doctrines that we have in these first three chapters. We don't preach doctrine, says an acquaintance of mine who used to be a pastor. We don't preach doctrine. We don't preach theology. We don't get into that stuff. We just preach Jesus. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. What then do you preach about Jesus? Well, I was told we just preach love. We just preach love. We don't get into the doctrine. We just say Jesus is love. That's ridiculous. What do you have to say about the love of Jesus? Brothers and sisters, His love isn't some warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not some notion of of liking something. The Bible, Paul here, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit tells us doctrine. He tells us a great truth, an immense truth. He gives us objective facts, objective truths about the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ. And it's not just some feeling. But it's Him giving Himself for us. Love's not a feeling, it's an action. It's an act of sacrifice. Isn't that what Paul tells us here? This will be pointed out over and over again through the remainder of this epistle. Especially in chapter 5 and on into chapter the start of chapter 6. How is this love to be imitated? It's to be imitated in the sacrifice of ourselves. A sacrifice of ourselves, an action through love to others. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, parents to children, servants to masters, masters to servants. All based on this principle, this doctrine that we are to imitate of God, shown to us in the love of Jesus Christ for us, giving himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. 
Well, what does that mean? How is this accomplished? Now, we must know what this means. We must preach the doctrine. We must deal with the doctrine. We must deal with the truths of God in His dealing with man. And we must see what it is that Scripture tells us about this love. And Paul, in one statement here in Ephesians 5.2, states the whole of the gospel message. Everything that the Bible has to say from Old Testament to New Testament is summed up in this second verse. The whole of the gospel message. Do you see how this is what motivates us when we've experienced the the love of God? How this motivates us to love others? How this motivates us to imitate be imitators of God? Well, what is it about the love of Christ? Well, Christ loved us, and He gave Himself up for us. He gave Himself for us. He offered Himself for us. Freely, He gave Himself voluntarily he gave himself. Titus 2.14, Paul speaking to Titus of Jesus Christ says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Hebrews 10.10, says, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He gave himself. No other sacrifice would do to take away sin. There is not another sacrifice. Remember what we read in our congregational reading this morning. There in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham said to Isaac, his son, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together up onto that mountain. And then in John 21, 29, when John the Baptist saw Christ coming... He saw that lamb that Abraham told Isaac that the Lord would provide. He said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the lamb that Abraham spoke of to Isaac. Here is what was pictured in that lamb, that ram that was caught in the thicket as a substitute for Isaac. Christ Jesus offered himself as the Lamb of God. John 10, 17, Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. He is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. Remember what the Old Testament pictured for us in the sacrifice. 
Remember that, a lamb without spot or blemish. There is no other sacrifice but Jesus Christ giving himself as the lamb. The Lord has provided for himself a lamb. We live in a world that fantasizes about going back in time and changing the course of things so that I don't have to suffer. Think about this. Think about all the books and all the movies that have written about people going back in time and changing the course of things because they realize I am in the midst of suffering, I am in the midst of pain, and I'm going to go back in time, I'm going to jump into my time machine, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to stop the chain of events that causes this to happen, where I have to suffer. Yet Christ, in His eternal being, agreeing with God the Father and God the Son, created all things. He upheld, He didn't change them to keep him from suffering. He upheld all things, even those things which would be used to crucify him. You want to know what love is? Here's love. He walked into Jerusalem. He walked into Jerusalem knowing what would take place knowing it was the time that the Son of Man must be lifted up. He walked in. He didn't walk away. He met with his disciples in the upper room and turned to Judas and said, what you must do, go do quickly. Judas, go do it. I've got a plan and a purpose and I must go to it. Get to it. Go do what you've got to do because I have something that I must accomplish. And it wasn't to get out of it. Jesus Christ created and upheld the tree that would be cut down upon which he would be crucified. Here's love. Remember, he's giving himself up freely and offering a sacrifice, a fragrant offering and sacrifice for us. He formed the very thorns that were thrust into his scalp. He knit together in the mother's womb the individual who would take the nails and the hammer and place them and pierce his hands and his feet to nail him to the cross and the one who pierced his side with a sword. Do you, do you see the love of Christ here? That he is giving himself freely for us. The power to do whatever he pleased but yet chose in love to offer himself for us. Do you understand what it means that the Lord of glory offered himself for us? Do you see why we don't preach some warm and fuzzy love? 
but a love that is searched out. A love that, that is based on the doctrines and the teaching of Scripture about who we are, who Christ is, and that He gave Himself for us in love. Philippians 2, 5-8, through 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by, being, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How was it offered? How did he offer himself? What was the motive? In love, our text says, he gave himself for us. Love, selfless, sacrificial love, giving, boundless, free, gracious love. For whom was this sacrifice offered? It was offered for us. He had no need to offer sacrifice for himself. He was spotless. He was the spotless Lamb of God. Without blemish. We're sinful, corrupt, evil hearts, lost, dead sinners in need of a substitute for our sin, in need of a covering for our unrighteousness. And He in love gives Himself, offered Himself. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but, but made alive in the Spirit. And to whom was the sacrifice offered? It was offered, according to our text, to God. To God. Sacrifice was made to the one who was wronged. The one who we, the us, for whom he offered himself, have offended and rebelled against. We've been at enmity with him. That's who this sacrifice was offered to. There's, there's an unbiblical picture that some in the professing church have that, that this offering was made to the devil himself. That that, that was payment made to the devil for ransoming us away. No, this was payment to God who was altogether righteous and, and holy in His wrath against us because of our sin. That's who payment was made to, was made to God. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament and the sacrifice of Christ, which those those sacrifices in the Old Testament pictured or typified or, or foreshadowed were made to God on behalf of sin. God is the offended party. It is God that is at enmity with the unbeliever and it is God who must be satisfied by an offering. Hebrews 9.14, How much more will the blood of Christ who the, through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. 
purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And here in our text, who was it that Christ offered Himself up as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to? To God. Sacrifice to God. Well, how was it accepted? A fragrant offering. Pleasing to God. A fragrant offering. The phrase, a fragrant offering, should immediately take us back to the Old Testament where we read of the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice. In that Old Testament system that we had. In Genesis 8, 20-21, when Noah was came out of the ark after having been sealed up, Scripture reads, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again strike down every living creature as I have done. Leviticus 1.9 and the priest, and this is over and over again in several verses, one after another in Leviticus. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It's denoting that God is pleased with the sacrifice. And Christ was offered, offered Himself as a fragrant offering to the Lord. Hebrews 10 tells us, and by the will, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single sacrifice, single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It was pleasing. His sacrifice was pleasing to the Father. Romans 3, 23-25 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith, a propitiation, a satisfaction by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, here is our example. Here is our example. And we may be imitators of God as beloved children by following His example through the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For Christ loved us and gave Himself up, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This all fits with the context of what we've been seeing here in Ephesians. In this epistle, we're to put off the old, put on the new. We're to remove that sinful garment of the flesh and put on the righteous garment of Jesus Christ our Savior. 
were to be imitators of God who was once our enemy, but now is our heavenly father adopted as sons brought into his family out of the family of darkness, out of the family which belongs to our enemy, the one we once served when we were dead in trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air, the sons of uh, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I don't know if we'll cover this next section in detail. We'll see where the spirit leads, but Really quickly in closing, I want us to think about the following verses 3 through 14. I would put before you that the the lifestyle being referenced in verses 3 through 7. Generally speaking, what is taking place is that these living like this, they are imitators. They are imitating. But they are imitating their father, the devil. John 8, says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Do you, do you see that here in these verses that we read when we started? Your will, Jesus told those Jews that he was speaking to, is to do the desires of your father, the devil. Your will is to imitate your Father. And those whose lives are reflected and characterized by these things mentioned here in Ephesians 5, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, they are imitating their Father. They're imitating their Father, the devil. And it is set at opposition with what is described in verse 8. In Ephesians 5, 8, we read, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. What does he say? Walk as children of light. Don't walk as children of darkness. Don't walk as children of your father, who is the father of darkness. Walk as children of light, imitating your father, who is light. Do you see that? Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Christian life, Paul is telling us, is about imitation of this. Imitation of what pleases God. And what we see as being the ultimate picture or act of pleasing God is the substitutionary work and atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what pleases the Father. And he did it how? In love. We're to walk in love as Christ in love gave himself for us. Do you see how this leads up to what we briefly touched on earlier? 
of what follows in our interactions with others. The sacrificial love that puts others above ourselves, before us. That sacrificial love that is best wonderfully pictured in Christ, who Paul points to as our reference as to how we are to be imitators of God. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husband. How? As unto the Lord. Sacrificing. Each other sacrificing to the other. Giving of themselves as imitators of God. And what a pleasure that should be in gratitude and thanksgiving for what is the ultimate picture of this that has been accomplished on our behalf through the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who offered himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we've had in your word. Pray, Lord, that we would hide it away in our hearts, that we might meditate on it. Lord, that it would be our desire and our, our practice to meditate on your word. Lord, that we might hide it in our hearts, that we might not sin against thee that our delight would be in the law, in your word. And we might meditate on it day and night. Lord, may we have grace to be imitators of, of Christ, imitators of God, that we might love others as Christ loved us. We might have a sacrificial, selfless spirit. Lord, that we might be forgiving that we might be tender-hearted and compassionate to others. Lord, help us to, in some way, be an example to others of you as we imitate you. Lord, may we be a light in this world. May we be salt to this world. And may our lives point to Christ. And may we have opportunity to teach others, to disciple others, to point others, to encourage others, to seek Christ. To seek the Lamb of God, which takes, the, takes away the sins of the world. That they might find peace and rest and they might find salvation at the foot of the cross. Lord, bless the rest of our time together this afternoon. May our words and our lives be a sacrifice of praise unto you. We thank you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.